Hello, welcome to episode number three of the G-Pod. I am your host, Josué Cedro, and as always, here is my co-host, Conrad Chow. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself today? Doing good, doing good. There is a lot, a lot of stuff for us to get to, and so uh, I'm really excited for us to record uh, today because uh, there's, uh, there's a ton to get to. Of course, yeah. Why don't we jump right into it? Yeah, so uh, let's go through our news of the week. Um, we'll, we'll, some of them will go in, in rapid fire, and uh, uh, there's a, a couple items that will spend a bit more time uh, due to their importance. Uh, so we'll start with uh, uh, our, uh, our our first headline, our first news. Uh, in fact, we had them uh, sorted out by date. So uh, December eighth, the Grand Rapids Drive activated uh, Marcus Simmons um, for the roster. Uh, on December 12th, Derek Jones was reacquired by the uh, Northern Arizona Suns. And uh, that same day, actually, uh, the biggest deficit uh, recorded in G League history, the, sorry, the biggest comeback from, uh, the, from a deficit recorded in G League history uh, was accomplished by the Lakeland Magic in the 109-107 uh, buzzer-beating game winner by Jamal Purvis over the um, Windy City Bulls. Uh, Conrad, you watched the finish as, as I did. That was pretty crazy. Indeed, it was crazy. And the the sad thing is actually the attendance was pretty low on that game. You could see from the broadcast, there weren't that many people left in the stands. But just what a crazy uh, turnaround. In fact, with the ball almost kind of like going out of bounds and just kicking it back out with that uh, with that uh, perimeter three, that was just a crazy finish, indeed. Yeah, and for for those who didn't see it, the Magic basically saved the ball. They, they were the Bulls were inbounding the ball with ten seconds left. The Magic stole it, then threw a pass ahead that was almost dropped out of bounds. They saved it at the last minute, threw a cross court pass to Purvis on the other side of the court, who then threw up a somewhat fit like two feet behind the three-point line deep three swish at the buzzer which was uh, insane uh december 13th uh trey burke was named player of the week for um the first of uh, two consecutive uh, times uh, he's been playing very well for uh, westchester who uh, have actually uh, risen up the, the standings uh, i believe they're first or second in the eastern conference at this time of this recording uh, then on December 13, Terrence Jones, uh, the one and only Terrence Jones, uh, was uh, acquired by the Santa Cruz Warriors. Um, Connor, give us a bit more details about that. Of course, you guys might remember Terrence Jones, uh, drafted 18th overall out of Kentucky by the Houston Rockets in 2012. Jones, he's only actually 25 years old, uh, recently was playing in China in the CBA with Qing Dao on a one-year $2 million, uh, $2 million deal and, until he was waived in late November. And uh, the China team publicly said that uh, Jones was a good person, teammate, and that had no issues during his short stay in China. But, you know, he's back stateside. Uh, Santa Cruz Warriors picked him up, and uh, he, he's, he de- he's definitely looking to uh, make it try to make an impact and uh, hopefully land a 10-day contract or an end-of-the-year deal uh, 
come uh, next year. I also want to actually point out uh, just the, the brief connection. So uh, the Santa Cruz Warriors head coach, Aaron Miles, uh, they actually went to the same high school in Portland, Oregon. So that was kind of cool. And then also uh, for Jones, you guys probably also remember last year when he dropped uh, 36 points, 11 rebounds, and three assists versus the Cavs. And for me, you know, uh, if uh, Jones comes in, you know, kind of just like has brings an attitude, a team first mentality, uh, just plays within his role. He's going to have a chance to uh, maybe land a deal. I see him, you know, projecting as just a better shooter, just better range than Randall. And also uh, he just, you can definitely see through his uh, long, longer wingspan that he can provide uh, potentially better rim protection for an NBA team. And I want to, I want to interject here. Um, talking about, you, you just mentioned his rim protection. I think the key for him to stick at this level is defensive focus and defensive intensity. Um, even though he's not great at uh, at everything on offense in terms of his shot or his you know playmaking off the dribble, he's good enough to stick. But every time that he's been on a team, one of the reasons that he fails to gain playing time consistently is that coaching staff feels that they can't trust him uh, to execute on the defensive end. Yeah, certainly. I totally agree with that. Um, you talk about um, the process for them to acquire him because uh, for a player coming over from China, um, how does he, it's not just for any uh, G League team to sign him. There's a certain process that goes into play. Yeah, so this is quite different uh, from the NBA. For the G League, uh, players actually sign contracts with the league and they enter a player pool. And then through this pool, uh, teams have the uh ability to make claims depending on their waiver wire. How, the similarity with uh, the NBA and other sport leagues is the waiver period is 48 hours. And once that has passed and the player is unclaimed, then they actually enter another pool called the available player pool. And regardless of uh, waiver priority, any team can acquire um, that player. And Jules was acquired in the first uh, waiver pool by uh, the uh, the Santa Cruz that had the first they had the the team with the first claim uh, in that uh, in that waiver pool and so that's how uh, Jones made his way to um, to Santa Cruz. Yeah, so let's uh, continue uh, in our news. Um, December thirteenth, Isaiah Ken and uh, was signed um, with well, like, first of all, was uh, acquired for a, a, a first round pick. Um, by the uh, by the Northern Arizona Suns that in fact that's his rights that were acquired from the Agua Caliente Clippers and then on December 16 he signed uh, using the injury exception with the Phoenix the Phoenix Suns uh, on December 13th as well the uh, Grand Rapids Drive acquired a KJ McDaniels off uh, waivers it's similar in the same process that we just talked about with uh, Jones um, the drive uh, had uh, like he made his way all the way to the drive's uh, position in the claim uh, order and uh, so they uh, they acquired him in that fashion uh, on December 14th Archie Goodwin uh, you may remember was a um, uh, five-star prospect, All-American, uh, going to was oh, wait was he All-American? I believe so. I yeah, believe, he's an All-American with Kentucky. Yeah. With yeah, right with uh, Kentucky in two thousand and thirteen, well two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen season, uh, and uh, he uh, was uh, acquired by Greensboro Swarm uh, since they had his rights, and we know that in the G League. Uh, rights are held by teams uh, for two years, 
for players that either you know go overseas or uh, or sign some with the NBA. Um, and so uh, Greensboro reacquired uh, Goodwin's rights. Uh, big news for Milton Doyle uh, in Brooklyn. He signed a two-way contract. Uh, and uh, the Nets uh, proceeded to waive uh, Yannick Watara uh, as well. Uh, Doyle's been uh, scintillating uh, recently with the uh, Nets, averaging over 20 points, over uh, five rebounds and three assists. Um, I got to see him live um, uh, myself um, early in the season against the uh, the 905, and it's it, it's interesting because I don't I didn't remember him standing out so much early on, but it's really in the last like five or six, seven games or so that he's been, he's been really good. Uh, so uh, Tyler Cavanaugh signed a uh, two year deal, um, with the Atlanta Hawks. And, um, it's a fantastic news for him, but it's also a first of his kind. Yeah. So he was actually the first, uh, two way player who was converted to a multi-year deal, a two year deal, as uh, you mentioned, uh, Tyler Cavanaugh, uh, he was an NIT National Invitational Tournament MVP in 2016. Uh, and that's pretty huge as we look into the past. In 2015, the MVP was uh, Jason Randall, who actually spent some time with uh, Westchester and also some time with the Knicks. With the Knicks so, yep. uh, this actually, first off, I want to say it shows that uh, the NIT tournament is uh, definitely worth, worth, worth watching as a scout. There's so, always players who... Uh, might not uh, kind of jump out for you during uh, the season, but you know through that tournament and also jumping into uh, Portsmouth Invitational, they might make a, a nice impression uh, for a team. Uh, so Cavanaugh, he's a six-nine power forward. Uh, first thing that jumps out is you know he shoots it well. So uh, I want to say you know he's actually kind of like a, the new Mike Mascala for the Hawks. Does so many like Mike Mascala things, mm-hmm. shoot the three. Uh, not a high volume shooter, a more of a spot up shooter, uh, but he can also rebound at an acceptable rate as well. So um, with this transaction uh, for Atlanta, it, it's 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 a good investment for them for sure. Uh, a team that's rebuilding, uh, you can always have great sh- a good shooter. Uh, just some uh, quick 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 hitters uh, this season. He averaged uh, forty point three points and eight point three rebounds per thirty six minutes. And then uh, that's uh, also backed up by a 50.7% shooting uh, field goals and 40.7% from the three. And what makes his uh, contract so special? Yeah, so the contract, uh, it's a multi-year deal, two-year deal. That's uh, what makes it special. And it's I believe it's the first of its kind uh, for a two-way contract becoming – for a two-way player signing a two-year deal. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yep, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, and so it, it's funny because I was I was talking with some people um, recently at uh, the I was at uh, on a nine oh five game against uh, the Salt Lake City Stars uh, on Monday. I was just talking about how uh, the two way contracts. What was their assessment of how it's how it's worked for teams and uh, how they've decided to manage it? And um, you know, it's well, this is month three in the season, month four, and we're already seeing teams feeling confident that they can, that they would like to, to keep a guy on a long-term basis. So um, with the uh, guaranteed date, uh, the guaranteed deadline coming up of January 10th, I think we'll just see more activity um, on that end. Uh, let's uh, wrap up our news uh, with a few more items here. Uh, December 18th, Sean Kilpatrick 
who was, uh, in my opinion, surprisingly uh, waived by the uh, by the Nets uh, upon the Jahil Okafor trade. Um, he signed with the Milwaukee Bucks, who then proceeded to waive uh, Gary Payton at the third. Um, the following day, they assigned and called up Jabari Parker uh, for uh, basic conditioning stints. There was a talk and questions whether he was going to play that same night because they were playing the Cavs, uh, but he ended up saying out it was really a conditioning stint. Um, on December 19th, Kyle Collingsworth, uh, master uh, triple-double uh, four-year college player, as well as in the G League as well. He's had a few instances where he came, he was either one assist or one rebound uh, shy of a triple-double. Uh, he signed a two-week contract, a two-week deal uh, with the uh, Dallas Mavericks. Um, tell us a bit more about uh, Collinsworth's game. Yeah, so Collinsworth, like you said, a four-year guy. Uh, he also took a LSM uh, tour uh, after his second year at college at BYU. And then I proceeded to come uh, with the legends. And we've actually seen uh, just him grow as a shooter. One of the things, uh, the big things that stand out is uh, just improvement from uh, shooting from the three-point line. Last year in 36 games, he shot 29%. And then uh, this year so far, 18 games with the legends, he's shooting 39%. It's huge. Uh, so that's a huge jump, as you can see. And so this is definitely uh, just it's it's uh, well rewarded for him to uh, earn that two way. Uh, besides shooting, he's also averaging more points, rebounds, and assists. And that triple double king uh, that you mentioned, he was one of the best at college. And uh, one thing that translates is him just getting involved in every tra- uh, sorry every uh, uh, possession and making an impact, whether he's uh, rebounding the ball or uh, making plays for others. It's funny because. You watch him live and you're like, well, he doesn't do much. Just a pass here, a shot there, you know, maybe maybe a couple uh, a couple pick and rolls where he's he's access the ball handler and the screener within a five second span. You're like, there's not much happening. And then you look up and you see you know, twelve points, nine rebounds, eight assists. You're like, how? <laughs> that's that's his entire game. Yeah, for sure. Um, on uh, this, that same day, Antonius Cleveland that we talked about a couple episodes, uh, that we praise him as a two-way player of the week, uh, and as well as Jeff Withian, unfortunately, were waived to make room for uh, a Collingsworth two-way deal. It just illustrates, again, the nature of the G League. Things change so quickly. Um, players are, unfortunately, uh, often used as, as currency um, in, in very rapid fashion. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, what uh, I, I believe uh, Santa Cruz still owns his rights. So you yep. know if if whether they feel that uh, they want to reintegrate him on the roster or if there is an opportunity elsewhere, uh, be very interesting to to keep track of that. Yeah, certainly. Uh, who's our two way player of the week? Our two way player of the week is uh, Quinn Cook of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, tonight, he actually made his second career start with uh, just a, a plethora of injuries uh, mounting on the Warriors. Uh, Steph Curry out, Sean Livingston out as well. So uh, for Steve Kerr, he, he really likes to uh, not mess with his rotation. So he's more into uh, starting guys so he can keep like Iguodala, McCaw in place rather mm-hmm. than uh, kind of uh, changing up his uh, his bench. Uh, Quinn Cook... Uh, 
he's our two-way player uh, because he's certainly earned the start. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been having a great season in the G League. But with the Warriors, he's had to uh, really learn to play off the ball more. Uh, I was watching some tape and sometimes, you know, off a rebound, uh, it's, it's a natural tendency to... Uh, Kind of wait, like call for an outlet. Wait and wait the for the ball, man, right? call for an and outlet. And wait for yeah. it. But for the Warriors, you know, they're about running the floor. So, like, if KD or uh, someone or Iguodala gets a rebound, you know, they can push it themselves and you got to fill the lane. So, that's something that uh, certainly is uh, an adjustment uh, for sure. And then also just uh, for every possession, you know, uh, he's more comfortable with the ball in his hands and. He's been good with that. But with the Warriors, uh, there's so much off-ball movement that uh, you can't really be standing and kind of like waiting or spotting up. Uh, there's just a lot of like back screening, uh, pin down. So you're going to have to uh, really just uh, move with the ball as well as uh, play off of it. Would you kind of agree with the same uh, kind of uh, perspective, observations? I mean, it's really interesting you mentioned that Kerr likes to, to – to hold guys in their in their spots in the rotations and quick and that's why Cook got that call up because he's the perfect plug and play in terms of the role. I mean, obviously to go from Steph Curry to Quinn Cook, you know, we're not talking about the same level of talent. But if you're talking about an, a prototype of a player or uh, a you know a, a, a minutes allocation or a stat or stylistically the type of player you'd like to replace, um, <clears throat> it makes some sense uh, to. to uh, to, to place him in that role and to start him as well. Um, I think it's really good for him be that uh, to play with starters because, as we know, uh, sometimes as a bench guy, you by going against other bench units, if you're not as, as good as them, you don't get to uh, bring a positive impact. And then by playing by, with the starters, their strengths can mask your weaknesses and on top of that can often maximize your own strength. And so for Cook, who's a great shooter... He provides some the same spacing for KD as as uh, the regular starters or KD or Clay or whoever's whoever's starting, and for himself it takes a lot of pressure off of him that he doesn't have to you know like you mentioned break the ball up on every single possession. Which to go from doing that in the G League to the NBA is a massive step up. Yeah, I totally agree. And then with that in mind, when you kind of have that opportunity to play with uh, these type of caliber players, it certainly uh, gives you an opportunity to elevate your game and also uh, develop these skills. We wanted to highlight him as, as a two-way player of the week because that's a massive uh, call-up uh, in, in terms of in terms of news. Um, to, to have basically, we, I would say this year was a top five player in the, in the G League, uh, have such an opportunity. And especially where that you can see that there is going to be a role for him moving forward. That you know we're not exactly sure when Steph's coming back, and even more so, Lee Livingston's had some injury problems, and Iguodala's also had uh, some some step backs. So, and their guard rotation, there's going to be a few minutes available, especially that their whole uh, uh, prerogative for this season is be healthy for the playoffs. So they're not going to you know risk any uh, regular season record uh, to. Uh, that that could that could hinder their, their their obviously their championship aspirations. Who's our C two C profile of the week? So today's C two C profile of the week is uh, Courtney Dalrymple of uh, the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, the GSSI. Uh, she works there as their senior scientist, and uh, this is a huge thing because of uh, of course. 
the G League. It's the Gatorade League, the collaboration together with uh, the NBA. The lab is located at uh, the prestigious IMG Academy. I'm sure some of us know uh, it's been home to uh, just so many high school prep players. Uh, more more recently, guys like uh, Trayvon Duval, who's uh, balling right now at Duke University. Uh, so, like their facilities have been really groundbreaking and really innovative and uh, what Courtney does is uh, she's responsible for athlete testing recruitment and management managing uh, the day-to-day operations of the lab Uh, a little bit more about her educational background Uh, she earned her uh, bachelor's and master's in exercise science at uh, East Stroudsburg University and then during that time, she also actually was a collegiate athlete. So she has uh, both experience in academia and also as uh, an athlete herself. The GSSI, uh, one of the main things they've been looking at this year is uh, sweat testing. And that's really important because uh, as we kind of shift towards more of uh, recovery and uh, analyzing how athletes can better manage uh, eating, sleeping, uh, hydration uh, by sweat testing and testing uh, just the saltiness of the sweat. Uh, Courtney and then and other uh, other workers at the GSSI they can uh, help provide recommendations for athletes how they can improve their hydration and what are their optimal levels. Uh, so I thought that was a really cool um, cool profile to uh, take a look at. We're gonna put some links in uh, our our. Uh, gpod uh, notes as well for you guys uh, there's a couple of videos uh, showing different athletes come into the lab and uh, have their uh, physiology tested yeah i definitely recommend checking those out uh, i uh, personally one of the things i'm really interested in learning more throughout the season is with uh, the gatorade partnership and in the uh the 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 initiative uh, of being involved with their sports science, uh, like we like we talk about in in uh, and in uh, in, the, in the similar fashion that that Courtney's involved. If um, if for teams they can already see and are already planning uh, some changes or some adjustments to their pra- to their team practices. Uh, practice is not the best word. Sorry, to their team uh, philosophies. Uh, versus what it was in the past, especially and like I said, especially this year where the, the G League is, such, is so involved as a as a sponsor, there was so much talk about uh, their sports science um, institute. So uh, I'm really really interested in that. Yeah, I'm I'm actually gonna look. I'm looking forward to uh, what other potential ideas and uh, research that they might conduct in the future. Absolutely. Let's um, let's jump into our. Uh, our big section of today's show, and that is our game of the week. And uh, today we are looking at the uh, matchup that was the first on the Twitch. Um, is, is it an app or a website? I, I, it's a website. It's a website, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a streaming. Yeah. I was going to say a streaming <laughs> service, but it's like it, 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 it's a website. I wasn't familiar with it before the announcement, but I am now because I thought it was fantastic. Uh, and uh, the matchup fe- featured the uh, Rio Grande Valley uh, Vipers against the Austin Spurs, and that was a Friday at December 15th. 
Um, before we jump into our, the, uh, the thoughts about the game, let's talk about Twitch um, in, uh, in a, uh, a more granular fashion. Did you have any idea what that was before the announcement? Yeah, I did, certainly. So like you mentioned, uh, Twitch is a live streaming uh, video website. It was introduced actually in June 2011. That's when it started. Uh, I'm actually known, I've known Twitch uh, because of uh, the high usage in uh, esports, in particular League of Legends. Uh, Back in the day, I've seen my friends watch videos uh, on Twitch and watch uh, various uh, gamers uh, really narrate uh, their performances, their competitions, and then kind of see that uh, that gaming community, that gaming community, and also that uh, live streaming community evolve and kind of bridge together. So I thought this was actually pretty cool how the announcement of Twitch actually coincided with the launch of the NBA 2K League. I'm sure you guys have seen uh, something that uh, has been making headlines. There's the uh, 17 teams who are going to be in the competition. Uh, this summer and the draft is actually going to be later this spring after you guys get a chance to uh, compete online and uh, get potential uh, get potentially drafted Uh, the first thing that jumped out to me was actually the sidebar stats it's uh, definitely uh, an upgrade over uh, what we've seen at facebook giving us the ability to uh, view the view uh stats and watch the game at the same time but there was something that you didn't uh, particularly enjoy with the stats bar yeah the, uh, it's just that they show in the middle of the screen and so if i'm if i'm watching the game i kind of want to have my stats on the side not necessarily you know stop my watching experience uh, you know it's, it's peculiar things maybe some people don't care i just thought personally it wasn't the most helpful because then i thought oh man i gotta watch this i gotta check these stats very quickly because i'm missing the action um, I, the commentary on the side, I mean, I think it's, it's just, it, it's not that different than what we have already on Facebook live, but it's just a different community. It's a different audience. Um, and so maybe the nature of the comments will be different over time. Uh, but I mean, I didn't think that really changed the view, that part of the viewing experience. Yeah, I don't think it did either. But I do want to say the pros of uh, this uh, ex- experiment with Twitch is uh, you don't get those uh, Facebook reactions that kind of pop up on your screen while you're watching the game. And then also uh, the idea of that co-commentary is pretty interesting because uh, the gaming community, they, they really like uh, having uh, people really commentate, narrate uh, the game. So if there's someone who kind of really stands out to them, bring analysis, opinion, uh, make the game kind of fun and in different environments. That's something I think uh, the G League saw as uh, an opportunity to uh, see if it would work well in their league. I actually, I do believe uh, one, one of the things the commentator was doing is he would kind of back off the commentary at times and kind of leave it blank and just you know watch, let people you know, comment and narrate themselves and uh, – react like himself on the broadcast he would react to some of the comments was that was going on as well um he did call it switch at first which was kind of fun <laughs> yeah he did i remembered on the the comments on the side people were like wait yeah they the called him out they called switch. him out yeah which yeah that's the, that if, if you're gonna do that at least the, uh, if people don't call you out it's not as bad but um <laughs> actually last thing i'll say did you notice that your quality of stream was a little better 
Yeah, I did. And I also want to say, you noticed also there was a different camera angle, right? Uh, no, I think actually, so I think for the Spurs game, I think that's the camera angle that okay. they use on the regular. Because um, I, I was watching a previous game too, and it wasn't it wasn't too too different. That part annoyed me a little in that like some of the shots, like the you couldn't see the ball. Like yeah. was, some of the threes that were released, it was like okay, well, well, I have no idea what's the trajectory on the ball here. So yeah, uh, I, I will also mention that I did speak to one of my friends um, that I work with, and he's much more into the the gaming world and. And uh, he he absolutely knew what Twitch was, and like he was telling me the same thing basically that people use that to narrate and comment. And I, when I one of the things that was funny is he said uh, when it, when I mentioned that this this was gonna happen, he's like, "Oh man, some of the some of the commenting and the narrating can get very crazy and out of hand." So I'm I'm interested to see if some stories come out of that, you know, moving forward. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and actually, I'll mention it's six games a week uh, that the G League announced that they'll be doing up to six games uh, every week uh, that will be uh, streamed on uh, on Twitch. Okay, so let's uh, jump into the game. Uh, first, it, it, the final score was a one eleven ninety six win by the Spurs. Um, start by let's start by giving some general thoughts on the game. Uh, I'll say that I love watching both those teams. Yeah, I did too. Uh, RGV. RGV is always a fun team to watch, just with uh, the type of pace they play at, first in the league, uh, in pace. And then it was actually kind of cool to see uh, the Austin Spurs go toe-to-toe with them in pace. Austin uh, is actually 24th in the league in pace, which is uh, third third uh, last in the league. So that was kind of cool. But in terms of the game itself, Austin came out strong and they... They pretty much had it uh, together the whole game, uh, never really uh, uh, having a threat to uh, their league. Uh, what kind of stood out for you in terms of the team performance? Uh, RGV missed a lot of free throws. They only shot 60%. That and uh, they gave up. Uh, the, okay, not they gave up. The shot selection, in, especially in the second half, was not the best which then led to a lot of transition opportunities the other way, and the Spurs were running on basically every miss and getting like very easy looks out of it. Uh, they used their entire bench. Um, Derek White started uh, for them, played 19 minutes, and Darren Hillard, who usually is a 35-plus minute plus minutes a guy, came off the bench, and then he basically played the entire second half. Um, and both of them were fantastic. Um stood out to me was uh, there was a lot of individuals that just shot the lights out uh i mean i'm looking at olivio Joel charles you know shot seven out of eight um i know as it i believe as a team let me see here uh as a team they shot 58 uh, percent from the field um 11 threes uh, and i believe that only is that right Oh no, twenty-one teals. So I mean, did they, they early on in the in the game? Uh, Rio Grande Valley was really turning them over um, at the rim. Like there's some, there's a lot of looks that either you know they were about to put a shot up and balls would be fumbled or um, throw the ball for for to a pass for an open layup behind the passing lane. Uh, but I thought where the game changed was in the third quarter where. Again, it's tough to know in the G League because we don't know everything that goes into coaching decisions, you know, player development, injuries, 
or are we trying to test a guy? Are we trying to, you know, extend the rope? But some of the, the rotation decision, I think, in the third quarter was kind of what led the game to, to really, the, the gap to really grow uh, in favor of the Spurs. Yeah, I would have to agree to. And then, like you pointed out, just just hot shooting all around, 57.9% uh, from the field and 45.8% from deep for the Spurs. I, actually, I took a look at uh, the shot charts, uh, the team shot charts, and it's actually kind of interesting to point out that the Spurs on the right corner three, they're shooting 46% on uh, 50 shots. And on the left uh, corner three, they're only shooting 31% on 68 shots. That's a huge uh, difference. And that's for the season, right? Yeah, that's for the season. And then to kind of put that in comparison with uh, what they're doing in other areas, uh, and the top of the key, and also including the 45, the, the, the left wing and the right wing three, they're shooting 38% on uh, 400% ish attempts so that's actually kind of a huge discrepancy and it's it's interesting uh, how either uh, shooting pretty cold from uh, the left side I, I don't remember ever seeing such a discrepancy like 15 percent just from one quarter to the other is, that's kind of funny actually yeah for sure but there was one guy uh jeff ledbetter joseph i'm sure you have uh, great things to say about him that was uh, one of the most shocking discovery of my life. I'm not even going to lie to you. Uh, this is a guy that came in as a tryout player uh, with the Spurs last year and uh, not only played well, la- in, well last year, but uh, stuck around again for a year or two. Uh, they kept it on the roster, and he came out, man. He banked in. He banked his first three threes. Um, he moved the ball. He was energetic off the bounce, so showed surprising uh, deceptiveness. I, I remember there was a... a a screen and roll that he split with pretty ease. It's funny, it's as if it, he even surprised a step up uh, ball screen defender with how he got the ball. Like he, I, as he, his first dribble was literally between the hand and his leg as he's extending out, kind of defending on the on the perimeter. Um, now, <laughs> I was saying to you that be, before we were recording it, he doesn't he doesn't look that old. In fact, like he looks like he's the captain of a of a frat house. But man, the guy yeah, can ball the hair, right? with the hair. But the guy can ball. It, it's it, like I I was I'm I really look forward to watching more Jeff Ledbetter. Uh, okay, so let's um let's dig into uh, some individuals uh, one by one. Let's start with uh, Briante Weber. I wanted to talk about um, three instances of really good shot creation and. Uh, kind of illustrating why he's been on the fringes so many times of, you know, of breaking through and signing a, a guaranteed you know year-long contract with uh, with an NBA team. Um, so first instances, this is all in the second quarter, and this is all, all three of those drives are within a span of about two minutes. So the first one, he abuses Amida Bryman one-on-one. He gets a, a dribble handoff on the right side, crosses over, and dribble, and he's starting from the, from the middle of the floor. It dribbles right, crosses over, and comes back dribbling to his middle left. He dribbles behind the back, up fake towards the middle, gets Brima in the air, does a step through floater, and goes in. And, and everything was under control, and the up fake was was without not even close to the travel, and basically froze uh, Brima in the air. Then two uh, about two minutes later. He starts again uh, on the, the right side and does, oh, sorry, on the left side. And he, do, he does uh, one dribble uh, right, 
spins a little left with uh, to keeping his dribble alive, resets up the middle, drives right again with two dribbles and creates some space off Ledbetter, like kind of shielding his body into him. And then he finishes with a floater over uh, Derek Wright in full stride, who has, I believe, a plus four, a plus five wingspan. Like the, uh, even though he's a guard, like getting a shot over him is a serious is a serious accomplishment. Um, and then finally, about thirty seconds later, and this to me was the most impressive one, even though he missed it. Uh, he was on the right wing and it had a, a screen come up, and Nick Johnson was defending him. And then what he did was. He used the screen going to his left, pulled back, dribbling between his left his legs left to right. He stepped back with his right foot, and the strides were so big that Johnson, like, he tripped over. He didn't fall, but he tripped over, and when he gathered his balance again, he was basically under the rim. And Weber had a wide-open three that he missed, but the, the, the shot creation was, like, really, really impressive. So with all this said, yeah, I can just give you three examples of really, really good shot creation. Why can you not stick at the big, at the high level? I actually, I don't know too. My question actually is, how come the Lakers didn't retain him after uh, he got cut from training camp? Like, what didn't they like? Uh, why couldn't he be um, the third, uh, the third point guard on the team? Because like the defensive ability, the on-ball defense is always there, and like you pointed out, now the shot creation, you know, it's developing. So that's that's certainly uh, a very interesting uh, topic to look at. I I think there has been uh, talks in the past that you know sometimes in terms of coachability or coachability is the wrong term that you you need to challenge him and be ready to re- to uh, respond to his challenge um in in conversation with staff or with teammates i i don't know that for a fact i haven't witnessed it uh i know also that some his his biggest fallback is we talked about how he's so how he's able to create shots off the dribble when he gets into a tunnel vision he'll just dribble dribble endlessly and with him the later you go in the clock uh, the less uh, efficient the shot that he creates will most likely be. And that's a massive, massive problem. Certainly. I certainly agree. Okay, let's uh, take a look at uh, Monte Morris. Uh, what did you see from his game? Yeah, so uh, for for our listeners, you guys may might have uh, been curious how come uh, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers had so many... Uh, signees, uh, uh, players from other teams, just so, so many high-caliber players. Uh, in fact, two of their guys uh, actually play for, uh, are signed by uh, the Denver Nuggets, but they were coming down uh, via the flex assignment system, which I wanted to briefly explain. Uh, for the teams like the Nuggets who don't have their uh, own NBA G League team, they must assign their players to another team, a team of... Uh, which uh, they get to choose, but it must be mutually agreed upon. But if no NBA G League teams are willing to take that player, then they'll be assigned to one of the hybrid affiliate teams uh, via a lottery system. So that's how um, players uh, such as uh, Monte Morris, Tyler Lydon, who uh, isn't isn't on a two-way but uh, was assigned, uh, landed at Rio Grande. So back to Monte Morris, uh, 
I actually had a conversation with the Nuggets beat writer, uh, TJ McBride of BSN Denver, and uh, just want to ask him uh, kind of like how he saw uh, Leiden and uh, Morris fit with uh, RGV since uh, they don't have their own affiliate. Um, so he gave some uh, very interesting points. Uh, it's tough for Denver not to have their G League, but RGV actually plays a similar style to the Rockets, and he kind of saw it as um, Leiden Morris being integrated into uh, RGV and thriving with them in the way that they play. Uh, for example, Tyler Leiden, he kind of sees... Um, a similar skill set to uh, Ryan Anderson. I mean, at, at of, the next level, if he has any chance of, of sticking, that's the that's the guy he needs to emulate, right? Yeah, for, of course. Uh, the uh, Leiden, he shot 32.5% from three so far, and Anderson's a 38% career sh- three-point shooter from deep. So th- the first thing is definitely raising up your three-point percentage and just being a guy who can spot up on the go and also in the corner, right? Uh, and and I mean, what makes him special with the Rockets now is four or five feet behind the three point line, right? Yeah, because that's additional spacing that you can get for your 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 off guards and your off wings uh, when he's off ball. Certainly, but after he's uh, really hammered down his shooting, uh, Leiden has to get stronger. And you probably agree. Just needs to get reps, uh, be able to bang down low. He's only at 210 pounds compared to Anderson at a 240. So there's still quite a ways to go to uh, really get to that level if you were to uh, be a regular uh, rotational player with uh, the Nuggets. For Morris, you guys remember him at Iowa State last year. Uh, just a great college season all around. I, I really liked him in college. Uh, he broke the NCAA record and led the nation last year uh, with a 4.79 assist to turnover ratio. Yeah, it was crazy. He never turned the ball over. And no, and he actually elevated that to a 6.9 assist to turnover ratio in uh, Big 12 conference play. So that's pretty incredible. Damn, that's crazy. But with the Rockets, right? We saw there's so they have so many guards, so many point guards. So for uh, Monte Morris, getting sent down to RGV um, is helping him. Uh, just develop skills to play off the ball, being forced to play on position at shooting guard. It's really helped him to be uh, more multidimensional. He's not going to bring the ball up, so he's got to be effective uh, in other ways, such as shooting better, uh, making cuts off. Uh, he's got to put up more attempts. Like I, I just the, the mentality has got to to be. And, and I think that would make him even a better point guard. I do too. Yeah, he doesn't really look for that shot or look to score at sometimes or, or, or not enough because i'll say this like one of the drawback that you could say and and was part of the conversation looking at his physical profile was that he's too tiny and too small and he's gonna have problems finishing at the rim well here are his numbers the last three years in college finishing at the rim uh, starting in 2015 72 percent on 108 attempts 65% on 131 attempts, and then 66% on 126 attempts. So finishing at the rim is, is not a problem for this guy. Uh, and in considering 60% of the rim is, is like a really, really good mark. And even and there was instances in this game, man, where you know he got to the rim and would finish be able to finish around trees and, and kind of double pump or or move or pump sideways and and get his shot off too. Uh, 
and and uh, yeah, when you get, you said it as a, as a two guard, he's got to become more of a just get get into more of a scoring uh, mentality. Yeah, for sure. And also just being a two guard, he's going to have to defend other two guards and that's going to push him to be better defensively as well, right? Given that he's only a 6-4 uh, guard, combo guard now. And that's that's a very good point because I think some of, one of the scheme you would use with him defensively is, is, is switching. Not that I think that he's either strong or tall with everyone, but I think he's quick enough that if, you know, if... Uh, his teammate gets hung on the screen that he gets to switch over. So like you said, that's, that's something he's going to get uh, really better on. I, I just want to highlight a, a couple of quick points in terms of some of the stuff he did the game in the game. He had a crossover in transition against Ledbetter. Oh my gosh, full speed. It was insane. Uh, so that, that was one of them. Then there was a step back crossover three with about 10 minutes left in the second quarter. That was like just super impressive. Um, the one thing I will say is uh, he had an example, and we were talking about the switching scheme. He had an example where on the post up, he swelled, he swooped, uh, swooped down and tried to get the try to get um, the, the the ball the ball out. Uh, uh, yeah, going for a steal, and he got whistled for a foul. He was looking at the ref like, you know, "How come? How can you call that? I, I missed him." As a small guy, one of the number one rules you you never do is don't swing down because you're never going to get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I totally agree too. Uh, just seeing him play, uh, there's going to be just frust- some frustration sometimes. But uh, it, all in all, it's going to be a good opportunity for him to uh, just play this type of pace as well and also settle into that role as a, a potential uh, combo guard. Let's uh, we're we're running on on a, on a lot of time, so let's um, let's wrap up a couple uh, couple more players uh, we uh, took a look at. Uh, let's start with uh, Olivier John Charles. Uh, I he didn't miss. He's <laughs> seven of eight, uh, seventeen points. Literally every single J he took was cash with no ra- rattle rounds or nothing. Uh, was guy was hot today. Um, his form reminded me of, and it, I've seen him play before, but this is my first extensive look. Uh, he reminded me a bit of uh, a mix of, just the way he shot, a mix of Paul Millsap and Patrick Patterson. What do you think about that? I see a little bit more Patterson than the Millsap, but definitely on that three, I saw a lot of uh, that Patterson type of uh, release point and also uh, just where he kind of had uh, his start up into the finish. Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah, well, kind of a you know straight, but still in a chicken wing, and and uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure if he would need to refine his shooting, but uh, in perspective, he's shooting 28.6 percent from deep, and uh, he's he's doing On it seven in, attempts. Uh, it, this is not. This was a, a, a. I am hot, so let me take this yeah. game. Let's 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 make sure to mention that. <laughs> yeah, so let's make sure to say that this is a great game for him. Uh, definitely would be interested to see whether he can uh, really keep it up with the shooting. And also, uh, I just see his uh, phys- physical uh, physicality, his, his uh, body is pretty intriguing for a guy who's 6'9", uh, can uh, can like play some defense, also uh, kind of run the floor, uh, roll a bit. Do you see, kind of see the same things? It's, that's the thing. Defensively, he didn't really stood out to me. Like there was one time where uh, he helped out on the weak side on Tony Roten and just got like he took the air out of the ball on the block. Uh, but this was like because Roten, the initial defender on Roten, like I believe it was in Hillard, 
Hilliard slowed him down to the point that when he released a shot off, he was off of balance, not really, you know, his head not really over the rim, but under the rim. So it was kind of a of a perfect scenario. I don't like against like I don't think we saw too many situations against Hardenstein, for example, Isaiah Hardenstein, one on one where you know he went up to the summit and you know, contested a shot or you know if in post up situations how his strength fared. So I I think you know we'd look at we need to look at a bigger sample size, uh, but I think the power forward physical tools so tools are you know interesting and and considering he's he's turning 25 next year yeah it's we're not talking about a 29 year old vet this is what he like there might be an extra you know five to ten percent of upside to to still figure out yeah he's a very intriguing case because he's a guy who just came to the spurs uh last year and he was drafted back in the 2013 draft, uh, 28th overall by the Spurs. So there's been a long gap from him being drafted to actually being stateside and playing with the Spurs, right? And and that's what you hope for him goes well, is that, okay, he is way older. And you know, at 24, you have a pretty good idea usually of what type of player you are. But if you only get to a to your team system on the more later in your career, you know, at 22, 23 years old, then maybe you become a late bloomer. Maybe, you know, with the, uh, with time and experience and knowledge of a system, then you can find a role and find a niche. And uh, maybe that's, that's the way for, uh, for him. Let's finish up with uh, Hartenstein, uh, Isaac, Isaiah Hartenstein, the uh, Rockets uh, second rounder. Is that right? Forty, I believe it's forty. Yeah, second rounder. Yeah, second rounder last year. Um, it's funny because for me, my first time that I watched him was last year at the uh, Euro U uh, twenty Championships, and uh, I remember being thinking to myself, "Man, he tall, but oh man, pogo stick, like real pogo stick, not that much strength, and it's all length." And I, I wonder if he can put on weight. He he looked he looked really good physically today. Yeah, he did. Uh, actually, want to say you actually saw him at uh, the basketball for borders in Toronto as well, right? That's right. He he was there. That's right. Um, yeah, and he he and they played him more much more as a power forward than a center. I think at the time too. Yeah, because I think back then playing with his competition with those high schoolers, he had more freedom to. Uh, like just dribble more. Like there, there mm-hmm. wasn't really a, a threat or a, many mismatches against him from being a guy to handle the ball to uh, finishing. But uh, he's a guy. He's not particularly long. Uh, around like seven two, two point five wingspan. It's solid for a big man. But do you see him projecting more as a four or a five down oh, the line? I was going to throw you the same question. I'll say, uh, okay, so this is my first. This is the first game I've seen at a uh, pro level since since uh, first time I've watched him at the pros playing the five. Where I thought, you know what, there's a role for you offensively at the five. I, I think uh, he he he's got. Like I was telling you that you know before we recorded, he physically he looks more comfortable, and and there's there's like you know two fifty, two hundred and fifty five even pounds that we might be talking about now, where it doesn't it doesn't look like he gets pushed around as easily. Um, I just remember one time where where John Charles, Livio John Charles, knocked him 
off balance a little bit to get his shot off, but it wasn't like he went flying versus, you know, at the same time. And I'm losing last year as a, as a just, you know, let's, let's show the amount of progress we're talking about. Just last year, any guard that came into the paint, it was not, it wasn't easy. It wasn't that hard to, you know, create space against him. Uh, and also be, with his ball skills, he's able, every d- d- dribble handoff with him was no problem. He could dribble right at the guard and hand the ball over without, you know, no turnovers. It, it was smooth. You know how some bigs that aren't as comfortable with the ball in your hands, when you ask them to execute plays like that, it's either a turnover or the ball's not delivered on time or, you know, they st- do two dribbles and stop and then, you know, they're stuck. That's not going to happen with him. Yeah, for sure. And back to that question, uh, I totally agree. He's 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 like a five on offense, but more of a four on defense. So I think it really depends on the team. It, it that changes depending on the position. So if say for he's if he's with the Rockets, he's a four. He could be a four, but or, sorry, yeah, if he's the Rockets, he could be a small ball five, maybe a little bit more of a four. But say if he's uh, with uh, Memphis. Then he's definitely more of a four. Uh, he wouldn't be able to uh, bang with the bigs for uh, the five. Well, let me ask you this: You think Nene just signed a three-year contract uh, last off-season, and you know, looking at the Rockets' rotation and their aspiration, I don't think there's that many minutes for Hardenstein this year. But starting next year, I mean, knowing that Nene, especially that he gets hurt basically every year for a period of time, I wouldn't see why he wouldn't be able to play. You know, let's say thirty games and play fifteen minutes a game for those thirty games. Yeah, I agree. I think it's also going to be a competition between him and Joe Chi. Uh, he probably, I, I, I'm actually unsure to be honest. Joe Chi might have the uh, might have a step on him because he's been with the the, the parent club longer than Hartenstein. Right. But I think time will tell which guy develops faster and what type of need they want, right? Because uh, both guys can shoot the three. Uh, I think she's a little better defensively. Uh, yeah, he's fr- he's frailer, but he's better. But he's taller, and I think his defensive instincts are better. Um, yeah, there was a couple instances in this game where Hartenstein uh, was at the rim, uh, just with straight up like verticality, Did, like. He did well in that he didn't foul, like he was at 180 degrees angle, but he didn't jump. So, because the the guard going into him was smaller, like he was still able to affect the shot, but then you're thinking at the next level, then if you do that, you're getting posterized. Yeah. And then, like, uh, you, you don't want to see him handling the ball too much, right? Uh, just this game in particular, we saw he had uh, one assist and three turnovers. So as a big, uh, you probably want to minimize the ball in your hands. And when you get the ball, uh, you're making a play for yourself or for someone else without kind of doing too much with the rock. Uh, Yes and no. Some of those turnovers, like I remember one that made me laugh was on the transition, on a, a transition situation. He tried to do a spin around, one touch pass to Monte Morris after getting it from uh, from Weber, uh, just kind of an extra little dash, and then he threw it out of bounds. Whereas if he just did a simple pass, then, you know, there goes one yeah. turnovers off the, off the off the stat sheet. I know there's another one where there was confusion on the dribble handoff. Guard was supposed to come his way, and the guard, you know, cut. So then when he made his pass, the guy was going the completely other direction. So 
like I, there was some of his turnovers I felt were more situational, much more than ability, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, for sure. But I would say that I don't think I would give him the ball uh, on foul on extended and say, you know, with space and say, hey, you know, go score. I, I don't know if you can get – I think he's crafty, but I don't know if he's – I think he'd be crafty to create enough space to get the shot off, but by the time the shot would be released – I wonder if an athletic big is is able to recover to him every time. Yeah, for sure. I think like if if he had a clear lane, then definitely. But if if there's a lot of traffic, then uh, there's a high chance that it could get picked off. I mean, it, it, we'll say this, and this this will be the final thing I'll say about him offensively. In Rio, in, in Rio Grande Valley, uh, w- sorry, with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. He's in the perfect place with the perfect players and the perfect supporting cast to be successful. Like we're looking at four guys at all times in the starting lineup that can handle, that can dribble, pass, and shoot, that uses him off the DHO game and are able to, to pass on the roll and pass on the move and catch on the roll and catch on the move with him and are not you know opposed to using him, understanding that, hey, he's a good passer, the ball's going to get back to me. And so if you're looking at him, you know, projecting forward and thinking, okay, how can we make him successful offensively? This is a great, great, great snippet. All right, guys, we have basically talked for almost an hour now. So I think it's time to wrap up the show. Um, thank you, everyone, again, for your listening and for your time. Uh, let's uh, talk about uh, where you can find us. Uh, what's our website, Conrad? You can find us at c2cballblog.wordpress.com and uh, definitely check out our latest game recaps uh, on our site. We're at uh, the Texas Legends recap and also a recent Salt Lake City Stars game. And you can also follow us on Twitter at at c2cballblog, Instagram at c2cballblog, and also Facebook, facebook.com slash c2cballblog. Josue, I think you want to add something about our uh, big Instagram update. What is it? Yeah, so uh, we took a trip to uh, Syracuse to watch the uh, Orange versus Colgate University, and uh, we uh, took some uh, some pictures, some videos from that, so uh, be on the lookout for that uh, in the next uh, 24 hours. Uh, We'll... uh, We'll have some uh, very cool stuff for you guys to check out. Thank you again, guys, for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, please uh, leave us a comment or review or, again, touch with us in, on any of our social media sites and let us know uh, what you think of, uh, of our podcast and episode. Uh, we welcome the feedback. Uh, thank you again, and we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, thanks for joining us.